Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball Podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, we're going to be talking about employees and leadership because I am joined by author and people leadership strategist, Mary Lou Martin. She has decades of experience working with all types of organizations, big and small, to make their employees feel uniquely respected, engaged, and fulfilled. So we're going to be talking to her about the work that she does, Mary Lou. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. It's really a pleasure to have this chat with you in the audience today. Thank you. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Great. You know, I have to think just out the gate here, anyone leading people today would definitely be living the dream if they're able to attract and keep the best ones. It's just become such a crazy new workplace. So I appreciate that opportunity to share. And that's part of my passion and what brings me here today. I grew up in Southern California. I had lived there for the majority of my entire life. Didn't leave it till quite late in adulthood through work and different opportunities. Back when you had just orange groves in California and when you could actually see the top of the Matterhorn at Disneyland, you could find it easily. And those were really fun days growing up. Did all of my college work in Southern California as well, and earned my doctorate in organizational leadership. And that really set the tone for the research that I conducted that brought us to present day and my desire to author the book, uh, The Big Quit Survival Guide, which I'll talk a little bit more here in depth. But as I said, work took me from a variety of positions, mostly in the corporate learning and development space. And I think it was with the onset of the pandemic, like so many people everywhere, working either in companies or for themselves or at home or working with anyone who was involved in connecting with people, the startling changes that took place so quickly really became a wake-up call for me to take all of this research that I had done about employee retention, match that to my real-world expertise. And I, I emphasize real-world I have been in this industry for so many years with many good consultants and such, but telling a leader or someone who's either new or seasoned to leading people, telling them today something like, you know, to really keep your good people, you need to build an authentic and transparent culture based on a foundation of trust. I'm like, what does that even mean? And I'm a trained professional trying to define what does that really mean? And so what I wanted to bring to help folks is real world tactical things, you know, examples, just saying, oh, make sure that your new people you bring on board, make sure they have a great first day. 
well, if I don't have a checklist or some specifics or some examples of what to do, I'm not sure I know how to make it great for that first day. And so I have really had a passion lately to help people with very specific, very tactical, real world tools to help navigate through this. So bringing all that to today and helping folks to get to know their people has just always been a passion of mine. I have a mantra through life, people are people first. I don't care what we label ourselves, it's a distant second. We are people first. And with that comes a set of common denominators and needs. And that's been played out in my life pursuit for so much of what I do. As far as, you know, hobbies and a little bit more about the fun side of things I do, in addition to working with people leaders, I have a passion for musical theater. If you could put anything to music, I will sing it. I will dance it. Not saying I'm any good, but that won't prevent me from going out there and doing it. I love art. I love creating things. I really just love anything that spurs excitement and creativity. I could beat just about anyone in 60s trivia rock music. I um, lived through the generation. Of course, we had the best music then. (laughs) So those are just a little tidbits about me and the passion that brings us today to have this great conversation with your audience. Well, I know you also have an art studio, too. So tell us about that art studio real quick. I do. We have been blessed with the basement the size of a bowling alley. (laughs) I think that was one of the advantages to moving to the Midwest. The houses seem bigger. And in that far corner, we created this entire art studio. The things that concocted in there could be anything from something we call assemblage. And what that means is you take every little thing you could find and put it together in a way that it tells a story. One of my favorite things to do is to take the cover of a novel, say, for example, an Edgar Allan Poe novel, and finding all the little things that I would glue on that book cover, little pieces of feathers or little bit of you know, just different uh, little screws or or unusual things you might find and then paint it all black and give it a silver tone. And all of a sudden, you've got this beautiful art piece that's the cover of a book. I just love to bring things to life. So those are the kinds of things I love to do. I love any kind of craft work. I enjoy it. It's just a, a great escape. I've tried Dabbling in oils, that's easier than watercolors. I've made a mess of most of the watercolors. It's not very forgiving. But again, I try. And it's just a fun, relaxing kind of time day to spend time in. Well, let's jump into it. You know, despite the pandemic, you still got people, employees quitting in in record numbers. What do you think's going on with that and and give your expertise about that? You, You would think that with everything getting back to normal, you know, people will be running back to work. Right. Well, you just nailed the operative word there, Curtis. It's the word normal. We're having to redefine even what we're trying to get back to. And the question is, will we ever get 
back to what we knew what was. I will say not for the near future, and here's why. If I could just coin the phrase, this is not our grandfather's workplace. You know, Things have changed so drastically from just the way work got done. If you think back to the 1940s when the assembly line and all the ways we accomplished getting goods rolled out, That was really Henry Ford, you know, in the days of making cars, people stood on an assembly line and they put widget A and widget B together and they did that eight hours a day. And we replicated that type of work eight hours a day. In fact, Henry Ford was the one that shortened it. It was a 12 hour day for most people. And he said, you know, people can't do that. 12 hours a day. He also instigated the lunch break and the morning afternoon break. And so we started out in this environment of a, what I call a command and control type of work environment. And we've lived that for years, you know, even up to the point where we had the the shakeup in 2008, when there were so many layoffs. And especially at that point, the Gen X, the millennials, just kind of watching their parents go through this and, and coming into the workforce very soon, looked at this and said, my goodness, there's no loyalty here. You know, we used to work, our folks worked forever at a job and they got a reward at the end and the company took care of the employee and the employee then provided what the company needed. And and it was great to be 40 years somewhere. Well, that all went away very quickly in 2008, where people worked 20 years, 25, 30 years and got nothing but laid off in return and unable to find a job. Bring then the pandemic and what I call is the perfect recipe for the big quit or the big quit explosion, or we hear it as the great resignation. You know, what happened? You literally take all this pented up frustration of perhaps having to stay in a work environment where you didn't want to be, but you needed to be, and there were no other options. We certainly didn't have, like we have today, every recruiter knocking on the website of every single key top performer out there today with an additional offer. So folks were stuck in a position that perhaps they didn't want to be in. They had no control over that work environment. So you start with that, you mix in a gallon of awareness that all of a sudden we wake up and life is really fragile. And then we add a taste of flexibility as those who could, who were in jobs, were working from home. And that was the perfect storm. And what that created was this explosion of people walking away from positions saying, this isn't worth it. And we're still seeing that today. I really thought by now we might see some of a steady state, to your point, about getting back to normal, but just the opposite's happening. It continues to accelerate. And to your question specifically, here's why. People have tasted a better work-life balance. There's more people in tuned with mental well-being. The rally cry right now of everyone that's still leaving is treat me like a human being. So this command and control has really gone by the wayside. And unless a employee, an employer is going to offer that environment that creates 
here's the golden words right now, flexibility. If they don't have an option to work from home, but could, they're not in a job where they're interfacing naturally one-on-one with customers, but they don't have that option, they're most likely not going to either go with that employer or stay with that employer. If they don't feel that their environment is psychologically safe, that it's emotionally safe, that their well-being is cared for, they will not stay. And so there's the second piece that we see that continues to drive because believe it or not, there's a lot of leaders who aren't making this transition to thinking about caring for people as human beings first. And it's not that perhaps they're not trying, it's perhaps number one, they don't know how. Again, it goes back to this practical, how do I do this versus just get better getting to know your people. What does that even mean? And so they're missing the target of what these people need. And I would say the the third that I'm seeing is that people are looking at some sort of control. So flexibility might come under that umbrella a little bit, but what I mean about control is, am I able to create the environment where I'm working to feel fulfilled? to feel valued, to feel that what I'm doing every day is making a difference. And so what we see is lack of promotability or lack of growth. So those are the drivers that we still see are in place. I'm hoping through the work like people like me are doing and trying to reach leaders to say, here are the changes that we need to make. If going forward, we're going to keep people. So it is a whole new workplace. Just one final thought on that question. We can't keep solving a personal, unique, human being problem like retention is. It's very, very unique to the person we're hoping to retain. We can't solve that unique personal problem with the way companies are doing it. And that's with an organizational-wide solution. I'm still seeing Today, trying to get people to come back into the office, I'm seeing companies offering more bagels, ping pong tables, and craft brews. Guess what? That is not an employee retention strategy. <laughs> we, we've tried that forever. You could name all kinds of perks. And the other thing we've tried, what's interesting is, yes, compensation. We'll talk about that more, I'm sure. Compensation that's competitive is a basic requirement. So companies that are not meeting that need right out the gate are going to struggle. There's ways they can compensate for that. We might get into that here a little bit later. But unless we're competitive, that's going to be challenging. But here's the thing, when we create these bonuses that I'm seeing, you know, $500 signing bonuses to sign up with a particular fast food place or all of these things, the problem with throwing big money, if that is the case, out just to an initial person to start up, it takes, research shows us, it takes between three and six months 
for the the bang for that buck, literally, before it just becomes a non-event and it just absorbs into the employee's landscape. It doesn't even make a difference anymore. So people are not so much after just the compensation for compensation only. It's all those other things now that we've got to help leaders take into account to create that environment that will get those people to want to stay. And that well-being, that flexibility, and that sense of some control and promotability are all the pieces that are still missing for many of the organizations. Well, you talked about employers being able to create a psychologically and emotionally safe workplace. Tell us exactly what that is and how, how do they create that? Right. What people are looking for is a place where it's safe to be myself. And the way that a company can create that is by having that personalized conversation one-on-one for starters. And so if I'm going to talk about an employee who's working for me or for any organization, I wanna know what is it that draws them to that particular position. For example, is it more about uh, the compensation plan? Is it more about the benefits package? Or is it more about fulfillment and purpose? So having that conversation and helping people explore that with them is the beginning. Most leaders don't even have that conversation. They don't know how. And we'll talk about that if we get to the three R's a little bit later in our, our chat. But I think right out the gate is just being willing to have that conversation. Number two, the quickest way to build a safe and psychologically safe or emotionally safe environment is to model the behavior that you want from the people you're leading. There isn't more of a disruptive, unsettling stress-inducing, burnout-driven aspect of working for someone when I don't know who you are. One minute, you're Dr. Jekyll. The next minute, you're Dr. Hyde. I don't know what to expect. We set up a trap for ourselves if we tell our employees that we believe in coming up with great ideas. We believe in risk. Feel free to step forward, come up, offer. We say all these things. And yet the minute someone provides a great idea and we completely shut it down, what do you think that's going to do to the motivation of them wanting to feel safe to even bring up another idea? And here's the other kicker. Employees watch each other. And so they observe how another employee, who may be a top performer in particular, employees watch top performers, and they see how they're treated. It doesn't matter what the leader is saying. They're watching what that leader is doing. So that second point is very critical. Don't say something you don't enforce by your own behavior. Another small example would be, We're going to all agree to be on time for our team meetings. And yet the leader continues to show up late and offers an apology, which is nice. But again, what message does that give? And it puts people on edge. Another thing might be where you hold a regular one-on-one. You're talking directly with an employee on a regular basis. Many organizations do that. They're They're very important. But 
because other things like business, quote unquote, get in the way, those one-on-ones just keep getting moved or canceled. Again, what is the message really to that employee? And so employees start to add up all these little messages. And then, you know, I talk about the difference in the book, The Big Quit Survival Guide, which is to help leaders navigate through all these things. There's lots of examples on when leaders put something out there and what happens is it's not true. And therefore, this fake culture takes place. And people, they see right through that. You know, everything that looks great on paper, however, the minute they receive an email that's confusing or they go for an interview and the person's 20 minutes late or they show up for their first day at work, the security guard didn't even know they were coming, they don't even know what their last name is, you know, those are all things. What's different right now, people won't tolerate. Those little things that get in the way of people thinking, this is safe, I like it here, this is psychologically good for me. So we've got to come from that place where that employee is coming from and seeing it through the employee's eyes. Those are awesome basic ideas right out the gate to help create that psychologically and emotionally safe environment. Well, let's talk about how a leader balances empathy with meeting their goals and objectives of their business at the same time. Right. The rally cry, as I said earlier, that you'll hear from employees today is treat me like a human being. But we also hear this word right on the heels is I need my leader to be empathetic. Now, what gets confusing is empathy. We can have empathy. And that just means walking in this employee's shoes. However, we do not remove the goal and we don't remove accountability with being empathetic. Otherwise, you know, we're going to just prevent them from doing the work they need to do and we end up enabling them. I'll give you an example. Forgiving someone, say, for breaching a policy on a rare occasion would be empathy. Something happened, they didn't arrive on time, or a project fell through. As long as it's rare and it's not an occurrence, which is a whole nother conversation on a regular basis, it's okay to demonstrate some empathy, to demonstrate some understanding. But we still have to hold them accountable. So to say, well, what can you do differently to ensure this doesn't happen again? You know, things happen. I get that. Let's work through that this time. Did you own any part of that that we could have done differently? Could could there have been a heads up so that I would have known to bring someone else in to cover your shift? You know, I'm doing that in a very collaborative yet respectful and enforcement way, but I'm not removing the goal. We still need to get that done. Letting that employee continue to arrive late every morning because of personal challenges. And, you know, there are some employees that that's just kind of their MO. There's, there's always something. That is not empathy. That's enablement. And that is just not going to serve the leader well. It's certainly not serving the employee well. And unfortunately, I'm seeing a little bit more of that lately because companies are doing whatever they can to hang on to good people right now. 
Turnover isn't always a bad thing. Any HR specialist in that field will tell you that there is a healthy amount of turnover, but we don't want to risk the turnover of the people we really want to keep, the most valued employees. And those are the folks that will watch if someone's getting away with a lot of, oh, it's okay, we'll look the other way and not being held accountable because they're doing it under the auspices of, well, I want to be empathetic. Again, there's a perfect example of how helping managers today isn't helping them by saying, you need to be really more empathetic with your people. Again, what does that mean? (laughs) So I am trying, especially in the Big Quit Survival Guide, give you those frameworks and those swim lanes where you can be empathetic but how to still have the conversation to hold people accountable. So empathy, yes. Sympathy, no. There's really not a place where we want to be sympathetic in a business environment. Empathetic, absolutely. We can feel sorry for someone, but we can't let it just stop there. We, as a leader, have to deploy the processes that will help that employee to succeed and ultimately to help me as the people leader succeed and the business. It is still business. Well, how effective do you think employee engagement surveys and exit interviews are in regards to employee retention? So many people, Curtis, spend so much money on just that part of it. Thank you for for exploring that piece. Can you imagine walking into your leader and you have already given a two-week resignation notice? And then before you clean out your office, the folks from the HR department want to sit down and engage you. And they're asking you questions like, well, point did you decide to leave? Why did you leave? Did you get everything you needed from us? Was there anything your boss could, you know, it's almost to me comical at this point. It, it's over. <laughs> so exit interviews I think are a waste of time. If you even get one, many employees are not going to even buy into that process. And the other downside to those, if you have lost a top performer, they're not going to burn bridges. They're going to tell you something like, you know, I just had this amazing opportunity come my way was just serendipity and I I have to take it. It's my dream job. You you know, you'll hear things like that. Truth be told, that top performer was probably looking for that dream job six months, you know, prior to that resignation letter. So we don't learn really anything from an exit interview. So I think of that game, cold, warmer, hot. (laughs) Exit interviews are cold as far as getting near the real pulse of why someone left an organization. The second way I see many companies, businesses, small business, it doesn't matter, any organization, try to get a handle on the why behind someone is 
continuing with the organization to prevent anything from them potentially leaving, they use something called a stay interview. And it means just that. It's they're choosing to stay as far as we know. And now I'm exploring questions around, well, what is it that you like about working here? You know, what can we do more of that gives you the satisfaction as you choose to stay? The stay interviews are warmer. Sometimes the questions for the sake of asking the question, again, in my book, The Big Quit Survival Guide, I'll give you all the questions that will be helpful in a stay interview. It's not going to help a leader just to say, well, conduct a stay interview and ask them why they like their job. You get leaders who will say something like, well, what's your dream job? You know, if you could describe your perfect dream world in your work environment, what would that look like? Well, it's an interesting question, but what if that employee answers with something like, you know, I want to be a drummer in a rock band. Okay, (laughs) what do I do with that? So we really were engaging in a nice conversation, but are we really getting to the drivers behind why someone's staying or not? There's something better. And I would like to propose and move into something that as part of my research has really nailed the talent war in the positioning of talking to people and why they leave and why they're staying. And that's where some of this psychology comes in. The hottest, fastest way, if in that warm or that cold, warmer, hot game, the hottest way to approach an employee to really get behind what's going on with them leaving or staying is what I call a three R conversation. And I'll explain briefly what those three R's mean. Back when I did this original research for the doctorate, I looked at over 6,000 sales employees and we extracted in this research what it was about what the company was doing that caused them to stay or to leave. And we created a questionnaire and we validated this research. And here's what that research showed us and what I've applied today as the basic premise in the Big Quit Survival Guide. You'll relate to it if you've ever held a job. Any leader is going to relate to it if they're working with employees reporting to them. I want you to picture a scale. Can be like a teeter totter, you know, as kids, we played on a teeter totter that balanced the left to the right, or you can just think about a scale that has two holders on it. The very first R that psychologically an employee is going to start thinking about are the requirements that you're putting in front of them in order to succeed at that job. Now, there's two types of requirements. They could be the direct requirements, and you could know what those are by just reading the job description, right? If I'm a a sales rep, I'm going to be making cold calls. I'll be traveling to perhaps make presentations. I will be bringing in and managing a product support team. You know, those those are all the things I've got to do. Now, we also don't see right away, though, there are personal or indirect requirements that matter to every employee in a different way. For example, in order for me to succeed at this job, I have to make an hour commute to get to that particular office. 
Okay, that's a requirement. And that may be a detrimental requirement to an employee. So someone thinking, you want me to drive an hour to get to the office three days a week or every day? I don't want to do that. That's, whoa, that's a high requirement. Now, what gets tricky to another employee, that actually might be a reward in the sense of, cool, I have a whole hour to listen to a entire podcast, three episodes, no one's going to disturb me, and maybe that's their downtime. But however those requirements get panned out, think of them this way. Whatever that employee has to do physically, psychologically, emotionally, any sort of energy I have to give is now sitting on one side of that scale. That's the first R, the requirements. Now, to stay in that job, here comes that second R. Those are the rewards that I'm getting back for all these requirements I'm putting out, I'm meeting. Rewards are the tangible. They're the things like the paycheck, right? There's something I take, I put in my pocket. It could be a 401k offering. I see many organizations, if they have the resources, they're offering employees college tuition. I'm seeing bonus structures. It could be a sign-on bonus. It could be a company car. If you're in that kind of a field, it could be a benefits package. It's all the stuff, the physical, tangible stuff that I take and put in my pocket. Now, right now, picture this scale. We hope it's in balance, right? Here's those requirements on one side. Here are those rewards I'm getting back on the other. And at the end of the day, and maybe up until the pandemic, if that balanced, life was good. I stay in the job. I'm working hard, but I'm getting back what's worthwhile that I'm putting out. All right. One more R, though, has come on the scene, and it's been coming on the scene for a long time, Curtis. The pandemic wasn't the start of something new in the workplace. It was just the accelerator. It's the great revealer. It just peeled back this curtain. This has been going on a long time. That third R now sits on that side of the scale next to the rewards, and it's the respect. To what degree this employee is thinking, do I feel valued here? Do I feel fulfilled? Do I have a sense of purpose? Do I feel autonomous? Does my leader trust me in order to feel psychologically safe? See where all that's coming in? Because any behaviors that don't dictate that need to fill that respect bucket, now people are leaving even if that reward bucket's overflowing. They're saying, I'd rather get off this merry-go-round of this toxic work environment. My health is not worth it. I'll take less money. I'll do whatever I need to do, but I want to feel I've got a purpose and I'm contributing in all those great things. So to summarize this, if you have an employee whose three R's, the requirements, the rewards, and the respect, as long as that scale is balanced, that person will likely 
always be staying with you. Think about that. They're they're working hard. We're built to do that. People like to feel they're accomplishing something. They're getting those tangible rewards back in return. And they're feeling good about showing up and doing their best work every day. What's not to love? And then we get into a little bit of the variations of these buckets and what these mean when they drive people to leave or to stay. So let's say here's our requirements, and now we've got a reward bucket that's really pretty heavy. You know, at least it meets the requirements. It might even succeed the, exceed rather, the requirements. But let's say that respect bucket is very low. It hardly registers. So you've got an employee right now who's thinking something like this. I hate this job. (laughs) You know, I am miserable in this job. I hate going to work. My stomach's in knots on Sundays. I'm putting up with this toxicity of a boss. I don't want to be here. However, I'm stuck. Where am I going to go and make this kind of money? Where am I going to go and get this benefits package that my disabled son needs? You can rationalize all day long why someone chooses to stay in a job they don't want to be in. We still see some of that because people are going to have needs. This person's a flight risk, though. All it's going to take is another offer to come along to up that respect bucket, still meet those rewards that balance with those requirements. That person's gone. They're definitely not engaged. I promise you that. They're just there putting in time. Now, let's look at another variation. This is where you have a small company, let's say, or you're a nonprofit, or you're a government entity. They don't often have a big, rich reward bucket. There aren't stock options. They don't have the capability to provide all of these, you know, richly endowed reward structures. There's still the requirements and the rewards, we hope, at least can pay the bills. But let's say to counterbalance that, though, that respect level is so high, it's superseding everything. Now, here's what this employee is thinking. Okay, you know, I'm not going to get rich right away at this job. I do have to keep my Saturday morning barista pack, you know, to make ends meet. But you know what? I have never been so happy working at a place like this. I love the people I work with. They treat me like gold. I'm learning so many amazing things. I get to do so much great work. I feel so fulfilled. I've never enjoyed going to work so much in my life. Now, again, they're a flight risk too, because if someone comes along and can match the reward bucket with at least that much respect, they will likely leave. But here's what we're seeing around this, which is really interesting right now, Curtis, and it goes back to your first question about, you know, why are they still leaving? Well, employers seem to think sometimes it's easier just to throw money and goodies at someone, and it takes more time and training to understand the respect piece. And people are willing to leave higher reward paying jobs for a higher respect level environment. And so again, in the Big Quit Survival Guide, I don't leave it to the imagination for these leaders to figure out, well, how do I raise the respect bar? Do you just ask them? <laughs> you know, 
And here's where it gets tricky and why going back to that cold for exit interviews, warmer for stay interviews, and hot for a three-hour conversation, I'm going to sit down and have just this conversation about how are you feeling about the rewards? Are they in alignment with what you're getting in return? What does the respect look like for you? And it all can be very different from each employee. Here's an example. Let's say I'm bringing on two new people who will be reporting to me. And I have this conversation. I say, you know, around respect, let's say, Curtis, you're new to my team and I'll be your leader. And I would say to you something like, well, Curtis, I'm glad you're here. Hey, it's really important to me to know that I am exhibiting respectful behaviors to you as we work together. Now, I don't mean that we're not going to yell at each other and we're not going to be bullying. We would know that. That's basic human civility. But in addition to that, what would be, Curtis, you know, some of those behaviors that I can make sure I'm doing that show you respect? Curtis might say to me, well, Mary Lou, you know, I'm a little new to this industry and I'm kind of new to this job. Don't know my way around a little bit. And my biggest fear is being left out to dry and figuring it out on my own. I don't do that so well. So what I would like, Mary Lou, is just maybe five minutes for the first month or so to ensure I've got your ear for just five minutes. Could we just check in? And if I have questions, I know you're going to be there. You're going to help me through this. That would really be respectful to me. Because, you know, the last person I worked for, I didn't see them for nine months. And, and, and then it was only until, you know, I did something wrong. So I'm thinking, okay, so to demonstrate respect to my employees, I need to be checking in all the time. Well, there's an error. <laughs> and that's where if we don't understand the uniquenesses of our people, we can be blindsided. So let's say to my second new hire now, let's say you know, Patty is her name. I say, hey, Patty, you know, what, is, what does it mean for you to look like respectful behavior for what you need? I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to check in with her, right? Every five minutes. Patty says to me, Mary Lou, you know, the way I love to work, I'm, a little, I'm new. I've been around in the industry a little bit, but here's what, here's what I need from you. Just give me my marching orders. Show me the goals, show me the endpoint, give me what you need done. And then you know what? Let me fly. I will check in as we need. I know we'll have our regular one on ones, but let me go because Mary Lou, my biggest fear and the reason I left my last job, I was micromanaged to death. So there you go. There is how I'm going to stay on tap with each employee by having a three R conversation frequently. And I would meet with my people on a regular basis and we would define just those things. So exit interviews, stay interviews, better three R interviews, right on the money. And I don't let leaders struggle even with the three R conversation. In the Big Quit Survival Guide, I give you the scripts, I give you the questions, I give you everything you would ever need to do just what I described. In fact, if I may interject on my website, bigquitsurvivalguide.com, that's bigquitsurvivalguide.com. 
There's lots of free resources there. And if you choose to purchase the book, there's a code inside that will allow you then to go to the website and print out all the tools, many, many, many tools in an eight and a half by 11 format. And you could have a folder for every one of your employees, you know, with those three R conversations and the things that we need to do to stay close to our people. So I hope that just explains a little bit about the theory behind it, but more importantly, the tactical tools we've got to use to help people through those decisions. Absolutely. And we just got about 15 minutes or so left, but let us know about any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about. Yeah, I think one of the most exciting projects and where I really love to work with organizations who have been exposed, if you will, you know, to my thinking and the ideas of how to engage their folks. One company in particular, they're a global company, they're creating a cohort of new leaders who are now just stepping into the leadership role. And I'm very excited to say that they're taking every aspect of my book, using it as a textbook, and we're developing workshops around every one of those concepts, be it how to motivate. We don't have time today to talk about the whole thing with burnout or building the culture in the way we need to as a leader. The three R conversations, you know, all of those things. So it's going to be a six month program and I will be delivering virtually as well as some of the courses on site. And they're going to really get good training, good tactical training. I call it boot camp training. And I'm so excited for that because we don't do a very good job, Curtis, of, of selecting leaders, you know, and it's not maybe so much the intent behind it. It's just we're in a hurry to get someone who looks like they could be a leader, just get to work. Because typically what happens, we see someone who's a very good worker. We bring them on board. They've been reporting to us doing a very good job as an individual contributor. And the mistake we make is we promote them. We said, hey, you're doing such a good job as a worker. Guess what? On Monday, you're going to lead a team now of 10 people doing that work. We have just set this person up literally to go from a hero as an individual worker to zero as a leader. <laughs> it's a whole different skill set. So in defense of leaders who are struggling and getting such poor feedback from their people, we don't effectively train them. We just throw them out there. And I'll share an interesting side note. We did a lot of research, which was around leaders who got very poor marks, very poor scores on feedback from people in terms of their people skills. We looked at that as a population and we interviewed over 200 of them, and said, why do you think that is? Two themes came out that were very interesting. One response was, I don't have time to be nice. I thought, okay, that's very telling. By the way, respect is free, but I get it. I think that's code for, I don't know how to connect with the people to be able to get the things done. So we deploy to command and control again. And you asked earlier, why are people leaving? We're still seeing some of that command and control. But the second one was even more unsettling. The second reason was, well, I'm just modeling the behavior I've seen from my leader. 
oh my goodness, that just makes me shake in my boots. We have got to break that cycle because we're at a crossroads right now. As you asked earlier on why people are still leaving, they're going to no longer tolerate anything but an environment that's conducive to their best work and being treated as they're asking for like a human being. So I'm super excited to see a company who's willing to invest in their new leaders and give them some real hands-on tools to set these guys up for success. That's what's really exciting to me. So close us out with giving out your contact information again, and also close us out with some final thoughts that you might have, maybe something that we didn't talk about that you would like to touch on. Okay, great. Yes, my name is Mary Lou Martin, and Mary Lou is spelled a little unusually. It is M-E-R-R-Y-L-U-E, Mary Lou, one word. My website is bigquitsurvivalguide.com, and from there, you, as I said, can see all my links to LinkedIn, my blogs, there's free tools, my book, The Big Quit Survival Guide is available on Amazon. It is in three different formats. So it is paperback, the ebook, and we have an audio version as well. So that's the easiest way to stay connected. And I would love to have any of the readers just sign in, say hello, and uh, just enjoy some of those free resources to get them started. I would say a final thought. As we close out, it just reminds me, Bill Gates once said, take 20 of my best people and there goes my business. And, you know, Curtis, we're in an environment now where employee retention or call it employee engagement, it's no longer a back burner project that we would work on now and then. Attracting and keeping good people It's as critical right now to a business as any other of their entities, be it operations, finance, customer service, even HR. Employee retention is not an HR project. It can't be a bolt-on now. That's what's so changed, I guess. It's just so seismically changed in this workplace. It's everyone's concern and someone needs to have their eye on it. And it's that leader who's connecting most directly with those folks that it's just so important. So I'm going to leave your audience today with a question and really a challenge. What is your employee retention strategy? What is your employee retention strategy? It doesn't matter the size of your organization if you're employing one person. You should have some sort of an employee retention strategy. Now, if you can describe what it is in detail and you can map it out as one of your key business processes, awesome. You are on the right track. If not, that's okay too, because you can't fix what you don't know. (laughs) So start thinking about that right now. And again, stop by the website just to get started. Pick up the book if what you found today is helpful. My passion is just to help leaders get through this and redefine what is it's going to take right now for employees to work and be happy, fulfilled, and productive. Uh, it's going to take a lot of effort. And again, it'll generate a lot of rewards and a great place 
to be working. Ladies and gentlemen, BigQuitSurvivalGuide.com. Be sure to check it out. Also, follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many leaders and entrepreneurs and business owners as possible. Check out the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast on the Podbreed Network. You can download their Android or iOS app, or you can check out the website, podbreed.com. Mary Lou, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. Truly my pleasure. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.